Hubbard and Jason Broth. Mornings from 6 to 9. Back in on Canuck Central, presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire location, friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Satyar Shah with Jamie Dodd, and we're very pleased to be welcomed by the man who's in the ring of honor at Rogers Arena, former Vancouver Canuck and currently assistant coach of the Montreal Canadiens. He is the man you all know and love, Alex Burroughs. Alex, it's always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. How you been? Very good. Yourself? Can't complain. Can't complain. We've we've had quite the... Uh, a uh, fun week with the Sedins and Luongo going into the Hall of Fame, revisiting a lot of old memories. What was your reaction, uh, you know, seeing the news of three of your good friends getting the call on the first call to go into the uh, Hall of Fame? Well, I was so happy for all three of those guys. Uh, like, they exceeded expectations when I was their teammate for a number of years, and they've always been uh, unbelievable players on the ice, and off the ice, I can't say enough good things about all three of them. So uh, I think it was fitting uh, that all three of them were going into uh, the Hall of Fame together. And I'm super excited for them. And it kind of caps off uh, pretty good careers for uh, all three of them. And, and Alex, you know, you have a really unique perspective, especially on, on Henrik and Daniel. You know, I think I speak for a lot of fans. When I picture the two of them on the ice in their prime, it's with you alongside them as their line mate, just take us back to when that first started. What, what, do you remember what your reaction was when, first of all, you got the chance to play with them, and then when it turned into a regular thing and, and you, you became their uh, their regular line mate? Yeah, I do remember. Like It was a night in St. Louis, and uh, at the time, uh, like A.V. had the Twins on the first line. He had uh, Matt Dean with uh, Dimitra on the second line, and me and Kess were kind of the checking uh, role, uh, checkers, uh, uh, disturbers kind of thing. We were that was kind of a role, and that game in St. Louis wasn't going well. And going into the third, Av came in and said, "Bro, you're going with the Twins, and Kess, you're going with Matt and uh, Demo." And um, we won that game. I scored that game, and we went on a run afterwards and uh, won a few games in a row. And those were the lines uh, from that standpoint. So it was. I didn't expect it at all. Uh, obviously, I was kind of lucky that the, the previous years I had spent a lot of time watching the Twins and uh, studying them and how they played the game and how they created their offense with Henson Carter, Taylor Pyatt, Steve Bernier, and uh, Trevor Marcus and. Basically, the thing I came up with is pretty simple: is give them the puck, and uh, good things will happen, and go to the net. So that's on those two things I tried to do as mo- most as I could, and uh, it worked out. It, they were so much fun to play with. Like uh, they could make plays, they could outthink teams, they could create offense out of nothing, and. Uh, they were fun to play with and uh, a lot of fun to watch, that's for sure. It's really interesting to, to hear you say that you were studying their game, you were you're a student of their game even before you started to play with them. What was it about Henrik and Daniel that kind of drew you to really watching them and trying to pick up things from their game? But I think what, because we kind of had the same physique. I think they were probably leaner and stronger when I first, the night when I first started, but uh, like, they weren't the best skaters. They weren't the hardest shot, but they would just outthink other teams. The way they could create and like use those soft pockets, uh, attack space instead of attacking players, mm. 
releasing pucks in good areas where they could recover and release pressure, like on the half wall from behind the net. Uh, the way they they could use the back end passes as good as anybody in the league. Uh, they were as good as saucer passes as anybody I've ever seen. Uh, like they could do things that most guys could never do, and uh, and it wasn't because of like physique or just pure strength. It was just because of smarts and just different mindset of how they they taught the game to more of a like a European soccer kind of a um, concept. I would mm -hmm. say like they would hold on to pucks, bring it back, the drop pass. Um, Uh, give and goes, cross and drop, using like legal interference to create offense. Uh, all those kind of things like were just outside the box for me and were pretty unique uh, to those two guys, that's for sure. Well, I mean, obviously you've always been a massive student of the game, so you picked up a lot of those things. I'm curious, now that you are a coach with the Habs, how much of the stuff that you saw from the Sedins and that you did to be effective, especially on the forecheck along the walls, just the things you outlined, how much of that stuff do you try to kind of get across to players now as a coach that you learned? Or oh, at least you I tried to, but it's easier said than done, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. The way to explain it, that's one thing. Show it, it's another, but... To be able to do it in game time situation against the best players in the world, like it demands a lot. Like those guys could do it like so well, as good as anybody else in the league. But like they never, they always push for more too. Like year after year, they were always coming back in better shape and stronger and faster and leaner. And uh, they always push for more. They've never been satisfied where they were, even though they were already all star players when I started playing with them. They always wanted more, and uh, that shows uh, how much they cared about the team, how much they wanted to do well, and um, they, they did a great job, that's for sure. You know, Alex, you talk about their drive to get better, uh, even after they, they had established themselves as high-end offensive players in the NHL. Was that something that, that helped inspire you as you were breaking in as well? Because I, I always think of you as a player who really dramatically improved year over year once you broke into the NHL. Was it uh, a little bit inspiring to see the work the Sedins were putting in in the same way? Oh, for sure it was. Like They were model-like, and I could even throw Roberto's name in there, like, mm. I looked up to those guys every day going to the rink. Like at first you start, you're, you're joining them, and they're you're, they're like your idols basically, and you want to just stick with them as much as you can, as long as you can. And uh, obviously they push for more. They push for more for other guys on our team too. And that was the good thing that we all pushed each other to get better. And year after year, obviously uh, Kevin was always one the strong guys too that would like to challenge the twins but uh he always came up short and it's kind of funny that the twins were always a better fit than kevin but <laughs> that being said like it, we always pushed each other we always demanded more from each other and we kept each other accountable at the same time so that was one of the reasons why we had some kind of success there too well and i mean you you, you and ryan are lauded for how tough you guys were and, and how hard you guys played and, and how you battled so much and I think sometimes people don't realize or forget or don't really know how tough the Sedins were. Like, how how much punishment did they take and how hard were they to move off the puck in the offensive zone? Oh, they were, like, people on the East Coast, maybe they haven't watched them play or they, they might say they, they weren't as strong or as 
than other players because they haven't watched them play. But they were strong. They faced tough matchups every night against uh, the best teams. Uh, they had checking lines back then that would match a lot. Uh, and before even the 2005 lockout, like they took punishment before that was with the holding and the clutching and the grabbing and the physical play. And they never complained. They just took it and kept uh, plowing through and kept kept uh, moving forward and uh, digging for more and wanting to be the difference makers. And that's like, I always, nobody in Vancouver thinks they they weren't tough. Like we all know they mm-hmm. were because we've watched them play for so long. But I think that's stuff that uh, comes out from uh, mostly the East Coast. That's for sure. What were what were the Sedins like as as teammates off the ice, Alex? Well, they were great. They were again, once again, great role models for guys coming in. Uh, the way they treated the uh, staff at the rink, the way they treated everybody, uh, teammates, the way they treated uh, the fans uh, uh, on the road or fans in Vancouver. Um, just great guy, always really humble, uh, low key. Um, just easygoing guys that like to play hockey and uh, quality human beings, that's for sure. Well, and you mentioned Roberto, too. I mean, the standard he set. And we, we had Corey Schneider on the show yesterday, and he talked about, obviously, what it was like for him playing alongside Roberto, learning from him and being inspired by him. And he told the story of back in 2011 when um, uh, Roberto was having an incredible season, was going to win the Williams Jennings Trophy, and it was a second-to-last game. He told AV, hey, pull me out and put... Uh, uh, Corey in here so he can also be eligible for the Jennings so his name could go on the trophy. I mean, when it when it comes to being a teammate, because we know those things about the Sedins and especially with, with how they've been in, in the community. And Roberto, of course, incredible career here, but he got traded. Things weren't always, you know, easy with him and the fan base. I know, I know, now, it's, I know now it's a lot different, but for a time, I mean, it wasn't always the, the, the best relationship. But as far as how he was with teammates, I mean, can you talk about Roberto a little bit and what he meant to guys? But obviously... Bob, like, he's such a character. Like, he's such a funny guy. Like, he's got a dry sense of humor. He likes to make fun of himself. Like, I think you guys see more of his personality now uh, mm-hmm. with Twitter and everything. But uh, back then, like, Lou, when it was time to uh, have fun and uh, after games, he was always, he liked to have fun and laugh, that's for sure. But when it was time to play and compete, he was one of the biggest competitors to be uh, out there. Like, we could play uh, ping pong cards on the plane, um, he wanted to win every day at everything, and he always wanted to push for more within his game. Like he always found ways to uh, improve, find ways to tweak his game so he'd be a better goaltender. And I think that's why he stayed for a long time in the league. And he always seemed to be like uh, the same Roberto uh, as when he first came in with Florida, uh, like with 40, 50 saves every night. Like he was such a good goaltender. But uh, off the ice, he's just easygoing. I uh, cared a lot about the team. And for a long time, when uh, Vancouver being, like, number one goalie and uh, captain for a year there, uh, a lot of pressure that goes into it. Uh, Canadian market, especially a bank market like Vancouver for goaltender, not an easy situation. Uh, but I think for me, like, I'm sure maybe some stuff you would have liked to handle it better back then, but for the most part, uh, I think he's done a pretty good job. And uh, for me, the biggest thing with Lou was, wasn't in Vancouver, but you remember like when he went back to Florida in his second stint and he had that yep. the Parkland shooting and he went yep. afterwards, like that speech was like, 
Grand Slam knocked it out of the park. Like it was such like it takes a character guy to go out there and deliver that speech in front of the fans and asking politicians to uh, look at the gun laws and that things need to change. And like it takes a lot of balls and it takes a lot of courage. And uh, he just uh, nailed it that time. And uh, I think that just shows you uh, what kind of human being Roberto is. And uh, we had a lot of fun with him in Vancouver. And uh, obviously, would I like to uh, win a cup with all three of them? But we felt sure that he didn't love it. Well, and you mentioned um, the longevity of, of Roberto Luongo, and you look at the Sedins as well. They played for so long, and for, for Luongo in particular, you know, to play over a thousand games and to be as good as he was, you know, there was there were some some years in Florida or Vancouver where he's playing over seventy games, which you yeah. just never see around the NHL right now, and. You know, I always wonder for for people who've actually played at the NHL level, like you have, is that almost more impressive than you know how many goals you scored or your save percentage? Just the fact that he was able to stay in the league and play that many games over so many years. It is impressive just to stay in shape for those, like without tweaking anything. Or it demands a lot of preparation. I think Roberto was in the gym, was in the, the physio room every day, would take care, take care of his body. Um, obviously it takes a lot of on, on the mental side of things too uh, to be able to play that many games at an elite level uh, that's impressive for sure uh, there's other impressive records I think like uh, even when Hank and Daniel both won the Art Ross those were impressive years with Ted Lindsay and uh, Art Trophy on top of it um, that's why I think all three of them are heading to the Hall of Fame now because they did some amazing things in Vancouver and throughout their career, and uh, deservingly so, uh, they're finally entering the hall. And just you mentioned the card games with uh, with Luongo on the plane, and I know he gave an interview uh, here in Vancouver, and he was you know having getting some chirps off at some of the other players on that team and their card skills. Is he right? Was he was he the guy who ran the show in the card games? Well, we had to switch games because at one point, like we played different games. The few years that we played poker on the plane, like. The main role was to get Roberto out of the game as quick as possible. So everybody was trying to tag up and try to bad beat Roberto that would only play ace king, ace queen, or ace jack, you know. And even ace jack <laughs> probably fold them if you'd had a re-raise pre-flop. But that's how big he was into poker. Like once he'd be on the road, he'd always play poker star on his computer and stuff. But on the plane, because of everybody was just trying to get loot early on the flight and that would ruin Roberto's flight. We had to change games, so we started playing other games. But uh, <laughs> obviously, Roberto would count cards, would always know all the tricks, would always have an edge on how to win that game. And uh, we had so much fun uh, playing those games on the plane. So, so who was the biggest mark on the team that you guys like took money from? <laughs> I'd say probably Darcy Ortichuk, probably the guy that. Uh, had to uh, buy a few dinners for the boys. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, Alex, it's always great getting you on the show. Before I let you go, though, I mean, uh, now it's been two years for you being an assistant coach of the Montreal Canadiens, your home province, of course, being out there and uh, and uh, coaching for that team. What's that been like for you, and how much have you learned these past couple of years? Oh, it's been fun. It's been obviously a wild uh, roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a lot going on in the last... Um, year and a half for me so the first half of the year was pretty sweet we even though it's covid years we had tons of injuries a shortened schedule uh still managed to have a pretty nice run in the playoff there last year 
uh, that was a blast, uh, even though it would have been nice to have a full house at the Bell Center for all those uh, playoff games. The atmosphere would have been electric. It would have been a lot of fun. Obviously, a quick turnaround in the summer. Uh, and then we had a few uh, bad news early on with Kerry and Shea and the uh, trades and new different kind of team. And uh, we didn't have the great start to the year. And you guys know what happened, change of uh, coaching mm-hmm. staff, management, everything. So that's never easy. It's never an easy situation for uh, any team. And uh, for me, especially when you're caught in the middle of it, like you're trying to survive, you're trying to do as much as you can for the players and try to keep uh, moving forward. But now with uh, the new management in place and uh, Marty coming in, uh, it's a little bit more, uh, more a different philosophy. The organization is looking like, Knowing uh, where we're going, uh, we're going to get an exciting player next week with the first overall pick. We're looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun, the draft next week here. And then uh, we have our death camp and training camps uh, only a couple of months away now. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And um, we're hoping to have a good start to the year and see where that leads us. Well, and, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of change recently with Montreal. And uh, Martin Saint-Louis comes in and takes over behind the bench. Another Hockey Hall of Famer with an incredible uh, career in the in the NHL. What's it been like to get the chance to work every day with Marty Saint-Louis? Oh, it's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. Obviously, like the situation when Marty came in, it was a tough situation. Like, uh, very hard for him. Like, we're almost in a fire cell, uh, losing season, uh, out of the playoffs. So it's tough for the guys, it's tough for the players. Uh, we had some uh, difficult uh, COVID rules here too in Quebec this yeah. winter time. Um, so a lot of things happen. I know I feel like I'm complaining about for us, but it was a lot of people that went mm-hmm. through a tough time here in uh, Quebec for the last few months and a few years, I'd say. But um, it's been a lot of fun. Like Marty brings a lot of energy all of famer, really passionate about the game. He cares about the players. He wants them to do well. Yeah, he wants to work with them so they get better and the team looks better and, and down the road. So it's, it's been a fre- uh, uh, breath of fresh air having Marty around. Uh, we're really getting along so far, and uh, it's nice to learn from him because he was one of those players like the twin that could make nothing out mm-hmm. of uh make something happen out of nothing and uh he's one of those uh fun players to watch and uh as a coach now it's been a lot of fun working with him is it cool to coach guys like cole caulfield and nick suzuki and see the progress they make oh for sure like all the young guys uh, like i was lucky i was able to build a relationship with some of our young guys in laval when i mm-hmm. first started coaching and now they, they're up the rank they finally started scratching the surface at the nhl level and it's it's fun to see those guys grow from where they were uh, three years from now and now where they're at now. And the same kind of thing with uh, Cole and Nick. Like, they're so young. Um, at that age, it's amazing the improvement you can make throughout the summer, of a good summer of work, uh, a couple of years. That's where we hope that they keep getting better. And uh, they're already unbelievable players, but... I'm looking forward to push that ceiling and making sure that ceiling is really high and uh, that this, these guys can uh, lead us uh, to the promised land uh, like the Twins uh, did with us in Vancouver. 
Well, it's a lot of fun watching what you're doing with the Habs and watching those guys kind of develop. And we're looking forward to seeing what the team does next week. Alex, listen, it's it's always fun getting you on the show. We appreciate your time. You've been very gracious with it. So best of luck as time goes on. And uh, hopefully we'll chat with you again soon. For sure, guys. Thank you very much. Have a good summer. And hopefully uh, see you guys next week at the draft. Thank you, you. You got it. Thanks. That is Alex Burroughs, Montreal Canadiens, Canadiens assistant coach in the ring of honor. One of your favorite all-time Canucks, talking about Henrik and Daniel Sedin. But, you know, I, I love seeing these guys who you watch playing and now go into mm-hmm. coaching. And then, you know, they get to coach guys like Nick Suzuki mm-hmm. and Cole Caulfield. And then you kind of see their games develop. And you kind of wonder, especially for a guy like Burroughs, who is only a couple years in now. But he changed. He stayed with after the coaching change. He's he from what everything I've heard, he does a really good job of connecting with guys. He talked about how he's got great relationships with guys he coached in Laval, and now they're with the Habs and everything like that. It's only a matter of time before that guy gets gets a crack at a head coach, coaching gig. Not, not only because of the good stuff you hear, but there is pedigree, and I think that does matter. And I'm not surprised at all that that it's going well for him yeah. as a coach because even when I asked him about getting the chance to play this, this is, with the Sedins. And he said, you know, for years before that, I'd been studying their game, yeah. looking for things that I could pick up. And he always, I think that's what drew a lot of people to Alex Burroughs. And I, when I was a fan, I was a huge fan of Alex Burroughs. It was that ability to constantly improving and constantly yeah. thinking, okay, how can I get better? How can I get the absolutely most out of my game and figure out the best way to help the team? Not, you know, it's not always the absolute, I, I know Marty San Luis took over, but it's not always the Hall of Fame guys that make the best coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's those guys who did have to think a little harder, who did have to work a little harder. And I, I could not be less surprised that Alex Burroughs is translating into a good coach as well. Yeah, not surprised about that at all. He mentioned the first overall pick. That is what the Montreal Canadiens have with the draft being held in Montreal. We are going to talk to Cam Robinson coming up in a few minutes uh, about the draft. And, you know, the Bob father, Bob McKenzie, uh, he does his pre-draft rankings always. And the way he does it, and he's outlined this himself, of course, is he gets a bit of a consensus talking to people around the league. And that's how he builds out his draft rankings. And usually they are very, very accurate. He's pretty good at what he does. Very good at what he does. He's the Bob father for a reason. Um, turn some heads this week because he had Juraj Slavkovsky as the first overall pick above Shane Wright. So the question really does come down uh, to... Is that a hint of what's happening with the first overall pick with the Montreal Canadiens? It's very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. And as you, it, it might, it, it's, you got, you have to keep in mind his methodology, right? Yeah. Because it could be that, you know, I think he even says in the piece that it was like a 5 4 split among scouts he talked to. So if you talk to a different group of nine, you could have 5 4 the yeah. other way, right? And if one of the scouts who's, votes for Shane Wright still works for Montreal. Well, they're probably going to take Shane Wright. So I don't think it's what makes it a lock that they go the other way and they go Slavkowski, but it, it, it gives you pause. It makes yep. you think a little bit. I think you just, you just nailed it, Jamie. Um, just because he's number one in the ranking doesn't mean that Montreal isn't one of the teams that likes Shane Wright. Exactly. It's still, he, yeah. McKenzie's not saying like, oh, it's unanimous around the NHL that everyone yeah. has uh, Slavkowski at the top of their board. It's really, really close. So, yeah. Who knows where Montreal stands? 100%. But what what this does, however, adds another layer of a narrative to the draft pick, especially beyond the draft. Because now what's going to happen, this is on record. And whether these things matter big picture, we can debate that. But as far as the narratives go, the discussions go, what how fans view it, how media talks about it, we're going to look back and say, hey, Slavkovsky was the first ranked player. Montreal took Shane Wright. 
He better yeah. be better than Slavkovsky Why did all they of a pass sudden. On well, him? Yeah, you know, that could be that could be the question in a couple of years. And I think it's going to be really fascinating with this draft because a few months ago it was a Shane Wright draft. You know, it's just been a recent kind of push here for for Slavkovsky. Now you're really seeing it crescendo with that big ranking. But you know, it it looks like there's a real debate between these two, and these guys are going to be linked for years. It's not quite maybe Taylor and Tyler from Taylor <laughs> Hall, Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan when they were drafted in the same year. There was debate about who should be the first overall pick, but I think there's a lot of intrigue in this one. Well, and it's even really just since. Montreal was confirmed as the first overall pick. I, I think that when that yeah. happened, the reaction was largely, oh, okay, so Shane Wright's going to Montreal. And it's it, that's not that long ago. The, yeah. the, the, the doubt has crept in. There. Oh, okay, could, could something else be going on here? Yeah, and, and I think it really does set up for the second overall pick. You know, what, what does the New Jersey Devils do all of a sudden? All right, we'll delve into all the draft stuff with our good friend Cam Robinson. That is coming up right here on Canuck Central. Welcome back to Canuck Central. This hour brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. It is Sat and Jamie here on Sportsnet 650. We are going to be joined by Ryan Kessler coming up in a few minutes as we continue uh, talking to some former Vancouver Canucks about a couple of their former teammates and friends getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame on the first ballot the Sedins, and Roberto Luongo. And uh, Ryan Kessler, as we read an article today, um, has been working very closely, Jamie, with some USHL players. Yeah, including uh, one of the players that our last guest, Cam Robinson, is very high in Frank Nazar. And uh, there's an interesting article today talking about uh, the relationship, or at mm-hmm. least the, some of the advice that Nazar has gotten from Ryan Kessler working with the the, the U.S. National Development program. So I'm really interested to hear his perspective, not just on Nazar, but in general, what it's been like working with that program. Well, and he's a super talented player. And you kind of wonder if, um, you know, where Vancouver feels, where they are at with that type of player, if he's available there at 15. And there is no shortage of options in this year's draft. And when we talk to different people, so you get so many different opinions every time we talk to people about who could be a good option here. I mean, We've had probably like 15 different names. This guy makes sense for Vancouver at number 15. Well, don't you kind of get the sense that after about maybe five, there's a huge range of guys who could go between five and 30, right? Like, I am sure there'll be people, you know, whoever's taken, let's say, seventh, I think there'll probably be a lot of people who turn around and say, oh, wow, that was a huge reach, right? Yeah. But there'll be other people who say, oh, that was the perfect pick at seven. I think there's just... There's going to be a lot of unpredictability after the top five or so in this year's draft. It really does uh, line up like that. And it does remind me a little bit of the 2017 draft in that regard. Because coming into it, there was a lot of talk about, oh, this draft is terrible. It's not that good. One of the worst drafts and whatever. And I'm like, there's like guys like Kill McCarr and Pedersen in this draft. Like, what, what are we talking about? And when Pedersen was taken fifth overall, there was actually initially... There was a lot of, why not Cody Glass? Why not this guy? Why are you taking this guy? We need Elias Anderson is available and Gabe Velarde is available. Why take Pedersen? But really, outside of Nico Heeshear and Nolan Patrick that year, and McCarr made that push late to really get himself into that discussion or you know playing the AJHL for the Brooks Bandits. But outside of those three, there wasn't a lot of guarantees or a lot of, let's say, uh, agreement on who should go where. And it turned out to be a very good draft, not to mention guys like Miro Heiskanen. So we'll talk more about the draft as the show goes on, but it's time to welcome in a good friend of the show, former Vancouver Canucks. He is Ryan Kessler. Kess, always good getting you on the show, man. What's going on? 
Not a whole lot. How about you guys? Oh, you know, chilling, talking hockey another day. You know what it's like in this market. I mean, you don't have to uh, worry about deal with us, you know, talking all day about you playing and stuff like that. So it's easier. I'm sure you're not dealing with that on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, obviously there's been so much going on this week with Henrik and Daniel and Luongo going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. We had your former teammate uh, Alex Burroughs on the show uh, a bit earlier as well talking about this. I mean, uh, what's it been like uh, seeing, you know, people making the rounds and uh, seeing uh, your your friends getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame? It's It's pretty incredible, actually, you know, to be able to play you know when you're playing with them, they're future Hall of Famers, and and just so uh, just to see them get recognized, um, it, it's it's so well deserved. You know, Hank, Hank, Danny, and and especially Louis. Um, you know, we don't make it to the Stanley Cup Finals with those three guys, and um, they were the backbone of our team. You know, we uh, we had the chance to have uh, both of the Sedins on, and, and they talked to the media, obviously, after getting the call earlier this week. And one of the things they talked a lot about was early on in their career, uh, the work they put on the summers to really, you know, get better off the ice and come back a little bit better every year. And, you know, of course, it was after the the lockout and coming in after the lockout in the 05-06 season that they really took that jump. You were a young player with the team at the time. Did you notice it kind of right away almost that they had reached a higher level in that year after the lockout? Yeah, I did actually. Um, but before the lockout, you know, I know we had we had Mark Crawford as a coach. And, and you know, I, I haven't asked them yet, but it seemed like they just – they they took a step because they, they were tired of getting pushed around. And – um, they became stronger off the ice, and it really helped their game on the ice. And then once you had that confidence, I believe it was the year after the lockout that they took over that number one um, line role, and, and they ran with it. Yeah, they certainly did. And I mean, and you know, for as much as we talk about uh, all the guys that played with Henrik and Daniel, I mean, you had a spell playing with Henrik and Daniel as well, especially that year where Torch, where they liked love to load up that line. What do you remember from the times when you when you did play on the same line at even strength with those guys? Uh, no one paid attention to me. They paid attention to them too. Um, uh, no, they there's such easy players to play with and and you just got to be patient and go to the net and they're going to find you and for me um you know i believe torts was the first one to actually put me with him i i I played with danny a bit for for a stretch but um torts threw the three of us together and loaded up that line and and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, when you get a chance to play with a with a Hall of Famer like those Hall of Famers like those two, and and have an easy game and know that every night basically is going to be point night. Um, you know, it, it's it's just a special thing that you look back on and and playing with guys like Pavel Dimitra and and Matt Sundin and and you know now the Sedins. It's just uh, it's something that I cherish. Well, and as you said, it was Torts who kind of put you together at even strength at certain points. But the year, 2010-2011, and you scored 41 goals, and you were part of the you were a fixture on the power play with uh, with Daniel and Henrik Sedin, and it was incredibly effective that year. What was it like to, because they were such smart, cerebral players, what was it like for you to be a piece of that power play, and you know, why were you able to have so much success with them there? Uh 
we had Newell Brown as a, as a power play coach and, and they put me there and, you know, I think I started the season, you know, goalless in five or something. And, and, you know, Hank, Hank and Danny got me my first one. And, and it was, uh, I want to say it was against Carolina, maybe if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. And, and, um, you know, it was a, it was a one timer from, I can't remember who, but that whole, that whole power play, surrounded around Hank and Danny and they everybody kind of gravitated towards them and they knew how to get you the puck and and I have no one to thank more than those two for for me having a career year that that year they they put up big time numbers and well-deserved numbers and they they kind of brought me along with them and I wouldn't have been the player that I was those couple years if if I don't learn from them and I don't get put on that power play. Well, I mean, that's amazing with how inspirational those guys were and how you're you're talking about that. But at the same time, I mean, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you spent a lot of time net front on the power play. That switch was made, but it's also because the amount of work you put in to make your shot better. Remember the talk about the offseason, you'd be in the garage getting almost a thousand shots off a day. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, those guys putting you in that spot. I think you worked towards having that cannon at that point. Well, yeah. I think when when you see, I, I was never a top top line center, and and to be honest, I don't think I ever wanted to be. Um, I wanted to be a piece piece of the puzzle. Um, I knew my role on teams. I don't think any team could say, "Yeah, we're going to win with Ryan Kessler as our number one center." Let's call a spade a spade. But um, you know, I thought I could fill in right behind those guys and and do a pretty good job. And um, just letting them lead the way and you know you learn from a lot of different guys along your career and and you know seeing seeing how how hard hank and danny worked and they're like gazelles running up the girls grind i've never seen anybody run it as fast as them and and just seeing seeing the work they put in in the summer you know it makes you work a little bit harder right because i i just you know not that i was satisfied in the second line center role but but I wanted to be the guy to push them too. Uh, and so, you know, I found ways that I could help contribute to the team. Uh, and to be honest, as, as you get older, you got to work harder and you got to be smarter with your training. And, and I just, for, for, for me, playing with Hank and Danny, not that you, you say, I worked on my shot. Yeah, I worked on my shot. I, I worked on my strength. I worked on my tipping ability. But at the end of the day, if if I don't have those two to play with, I don't put up those numbers, no matter if I have the shot or not. You know, I, I, I really like what you said there, uh, Ryan, about wanting to be a part of the puzzle. And you just look at that team that year. You know, the first line center is Henrik Sedin, who's among the league leaders in scoring. And then you win the Selkie as the second line center. You kind of can't draw it up any better than that, right? As you're one, two down the middle. And just in general, that team, you know, you talk about, we talk so much about players buying into their role and knowing that and knowing what their role is and exactly what they're expected to do. How important was that element to how much success the team was able to have that season? Yeah, you know, top to bottom. You know, I think on on teams you get a you get a lot of guys upset um, and don't and they don't buy in. You know, they seem like they buy in, but behind the scenes, 
they might be saying things, but that team, we all knew our roles. You had Manny Maholtra, um, Rafi Torres, Yannick Hansen. Then, then on the fourth line, you had uh, Lapierre Higgins and uh, Tambellini. So, yeah. you know, you you look you look at that li- lineup, and then you know, arguably, we had the best D um, that was put together mm-hmm. in in the league, and. There was, I never remember any behind the scenes stuff that was like, oh, I should be playing with this guy or I should be playing with this guy. Everybody just pulled the rope, pulled on the rope the same way. And, and, you know, I, I say it to the team I coach now, like culture for me is number one. And, and it doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't have a good room and you don't have a, a, a team of, or a group of guys that, understand their role and, and, you know, get along and, and pull on the rope the same way, then, then you're not, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. At, you know, you, you look at the really skilled teams in the league, they have good culture and, and Colorado, you hear about Andrew Cagliano, who I played with, you know, that, that team played for each other and that's why they, they won. Well, I mean, it, it, it's so true about, you know, how hard that team played. And even I remember just watching you guys and the level you guys played at back then. And, you know, your work ethic was always, you know, off the charts, same with Burroughs, the, dedica- the dedication you guys had and how hard you guys worked, the standards you guys set. But at the same time, you look at Henrik and Daniel, you talk about how competitive they were, how hard they worked, the standard they set. But was there anybody more competitive than Luongo on that team? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't believe so. No, he didn't like to lose, and and you know he he he's a goalie, so he had his routine, and, and we we tend to stay away from him on game days. But he uh, he's one of those guys that that calms the team down. He's one of those guys that you look back there, and and you know you're going to have a chance to win every single night. Um, for, like I said at the beginning, without without Louis, we we don't we don't make it as far as we did that year, or or even win two Presidents Trophies in a row. Um, he he was the backbone of our team when we traded for him. Um, you know, it, it's huge to get a number one goalie, um, and then when he came in and and had the multiple years in a row that he had where he. He was one of the best goalies in the league. It, it gives your team a chance to win every night. What was your reaction when you heard about that trade? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, Bertuzzi was a big player on that team, and that offseason had happened. Do you remember your reaction when that happened in the summer? Yeah. I, um, Bert, Bert, Bert was a friend, and to be honest, still, still is a friend. Bert was one of those guys that took me under my wing or took me under his wing, and uh, him, him, Nazi, and and Mo, they they were were really big big parts of my my uh, early parts of my career. So, you know, when you when you lose a guy like that, for me, it was like okay, like you're kind of upset, right? But you know, on the flip side, you're you're excited as well. Um, you understand it's a business, and and the team was trying to get better, and and at the time, you you don't know how well it was going to work out, but it. To be honest, it was it worked out great for us. And you know, Ryan, I know you've been um, you've been doing some work with the U.S. National Development Team program, the Under 18 
uh, team this season. You know what what that what's that experience been like? I know that was a program you played with yourself when you were coming up, and just to get the chance to be around those players, as a lot of them are you know hoping to be drafted next week. What's that? What has that experience been like for you? It's been amazing. Um, you know, I was unsure going into it how I was going to like it, but um, it, just to see the smiles and and to be honest, how 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 the kids gravitated towards me and how excited they were every time I came, it, it just wanted me to come more. And you know, I didn't want to step on anybody's toes there, so I, I was. I was uh, kind of just in the background and, and just wanted to give my knowledge here and there if the, if the coaches asked for it. But the, the kids there, they want to get better. They, they want to, they always ask questions. And that's the thing that um, really, I think, made it worth it for me because I feel like I, I, I'm paying it forward to the next generation of players and, and, Obviously, I took all the centers after every practice and worked on face-offs. And, but the whole experience with Adam Nightingale and Nick Four and, and all the coaches there, it was just – I learned a lot as a coach um, how to manage young men. And then I, I learned a lot about myself on the kind of coach I, I want to become. And – um, I'm excited to do it again next year and, and excited to continue with all these like knickknack jobs I got. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about one player in particular with the program, uh, Frank Nazar. And I, I saw an interview of him today where he really credited you with helping, helping him through some tough spots this year, whether it was, you know, dealing with injuries, playing through adversity. And he said he was, you were somebody that he really leaned on and, and, and you really helped him get through it. What can you tell us both just about Nazar as a player, but also with, uh, with that relationship and helping him work through some of that adversity? Yeah, Frank, Frankie's a great kid. Um, we had a, we had a few tough conversations over the cor- course of the year, but Frankie's a kid that can he, I, he can take over a game. His speed and his acceleration is 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 uh, something that is very special and doesn't come around often in a game or in the game. And you know our conversations are private, but um, you know at times as a as a young player, you, you deal with things that you're, you're not normally, you know, used to dealing with. And he was unsure and, and he just, he, he needed a kick and he took it well and he was coachable and, um, you know, he, he played so well in the world juniors. I'm so proud of him. Um, or the world juniors, the under 18, mm-hmm. um, he, he played so, so well in that tournament um and he and he was banged up um and and he he battled through and 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 that's that's the thing i'm most proud about is is you look at players and and players nowadays you don't know if they're going to battle through injuries and and the fact that he he manned up and he went out there and he gave it all and they yeah they fell short but he he like i told them that team is a different play, team without him, and they need him. And um, he went and, and he gave it all, even even when he's banged up. So he, he's a player that has a lot of character, uh, and, and he has he has some special attributes that uh, don't come around very often. 
Hey, hey, Cass, it's always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. We won't take up too much of your time because you know you have all the odd jobs to get to, but we appreciate all the time you give <laughs> us, and, and hopefully we can chat again soon, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You got it. That is Ryan Kessler. Uh, some good insight, of course, to his time with the Canucks, playing with the Sedins and Luongo. But uh, what do you have to say about Frank Nazar, who uh, uh, Rand Deep is calling him Bick Nazar's favorite player because <laughs> there's some likeness, some similarities in, in how the last names are um, are similar. But uh, a lot of praise for how tough the kid is. Yeah, that was interesting. And he's a prospect I really like. It's interesting to hear not just the evaluation of his play and his skill set, but somebody who's been with him as he's gone through adversity and just to hear to hear the emotion in Kessler's voice and say wow I'm so proud of him for what he's gone through that, that's very interesting I thought it was really also fascinating and very cool to hear just how much he's enjoyed that that experience in general mm-hmm. Kessler working with that program and as he said paying it forward and I mean what a thrill for a draft eligible player to you know have Ryan Kessler yeah. there to work on your, your face-offs after every practice that's not bad oh precisely I mean when you're talking about a centerman um that's the type of guy you want to learn from, especially if, if you need to mature your game, two-way game type of deal. Ryan Kessler is probably somebody who can teach you a lot of tricks and maybe some dark magic as well, if you know what I mean, as far as <laughs> getting under the opponent's skin and whatnot. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun chatting with Ryan Kessler. A, a really good hour. We had Cam Robinson on a bit earlier as well. Well, we're not stopping. A lot more coming up on Canuck Central. Underrated, overrated, that is coming up at 6.30. But next, our good friend Irfan Gafar, who had... A little bit of a nugget on the Brock Besser situation with the Canucks. What is going on with Vancouver and their other top players? We'll get into that and more right here on Canucks Central.